You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. On June, I believe it was June 3rd, I uh, shared a message called Salt and Light. Part one, and I talked about salt, and uh, today we're going to be talking about light, the second part. Um, but here, thank you, Sam. Thanks for playing so much. Um, you know, Jesus, he calls his disciples the salt of the earth. And all of us who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, he calls salt. And I spoke primarily about how we are called to live fruitful lives as followers of Jesus. And that how he speaks about here in Matthew 5, that there's a salt that's useful with great effectiveness and there's a salt that is useless and thrown away. There are people who live fruitful Christian lives and there are those who are perpetually unfruitful. We are meant to live full and effective lives. We're called to be the salt of the earth and to bring God's love everywhere we go. And today, um, we're going to be continuing on from there, talking about Jesus, the light of the world. I'll quickly read Matthew 5.13, and we'll segue that directly into verse 14, where we're going to be beginning this morning. Uh, Matthew 5.13, right after the Beatitudes, says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by foot under man. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand that gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This morning, I want to explore and touch on a couple concepts from this text. Number one is what or who is meant by the light of the world. Two, why would anyone attempt to dampen or hinder this light? in their life so that it wouldn't be seen by others. And three, how can we further glorify God by shining our light before men? What does that look like? The light of the world. Hmm. So better understand this concept, we're going to go to the book of John, first chapter, verses 1 to 5. And it says this, In the beginning the word already existed, he was with God, and he was God. Now here, John begins his gospel a little differently than the other gospels. He adds this part here at the beginning, talking about the very beginning, linking Jesus to the beginning of time. And here, the word is a word that is being used to describe the person of Jesus. And it says that he was with God, and he, in fact, was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is, and nothing exists that he didn't make. 
Life itself was in him, and this life gives light to everyone. This is uh, the text that I'm reading from this morning is the New Living Translation. You know, what's interesting here is at the very beginning of time was God. And we have the person of Jesus who wasn't the first created person by Father God, but in fact was an eternal person who lived in perfect unity with Father God and the Holy Spirit from forever, for eons, for all of eternity. And here he is. He is the Word, as John says here in chapter 1. He also calls him the light. Interesting enough here, John is referencing the beginning. So um, to move forward, I just wanted to go to Genesis 1. Let's look at the beginning and see what uh, God has to say here about the beginning of time. In Genesis chapter 1 here, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty and formless. It was a formless mass cloaked in darkness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface. So here we have the heavens and the earth are created. And the earth is empty. It's formless and clothed in darkness. And the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, is hovering. He's there at the beginning of creation. And the Bible says this, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. The word of God went forth, and creation happened. And light came into existence here in our world, here in the, in the, in the earth in which we live, in the universe in which we reside. And um, what's interesting about this text here is that in Jesus' time, in the Jewish tradition, to say such words that I am the life, that I am the light, it had major significance. This title, to call himself the light, was to say that he was recognized as the source of life itself at the beginning of creation. And it was to elevate oneself to be equal with God. And it's interesting, I know I had a Muslim friend in high school, and perpetually he was always telling me that Jesus never said he was God. I don't know if you've ever had this conversation with someone where someone's tried to tell you that Jesus himself never claimed to be God. And it's interesting, because I could tell he'd never read the Bible, but that he just heard other people tell him that. Because over and over through the scriptures, Jesus makes it fairly clear that he himself, the Father, and him are one. He says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. When they were saying, just show us the Father, and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for him and I are one. We see him at the beginning of creation, the light. And what's interesting is that this term, the light of the world, is not something that was put on Jesus by other people but it was a term that he used about himself. And uh, Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world here in John eight twelve, when he said that I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Another version says, whoever follows me will not stumble through the darkness because you have the life that leads, the life that leads to life 
the light that leads to life, sorry, it should be. The scripture where Jesus calls himself the light of the world falls immediately after a story, a parable, of a woman who's caught in adultery. I guess it's not a parable, it's a real story here. Where Jesus is teaching at the temple, and um, he's speaking to the teachers of the religious law, and the Pharisees show up, and they try to trick him, they try to trap him. They're looking for something that they can use against him to turn people's opinion away from this Jesus who's stealing the spotlight, who has become this big deal overnight, this overnight sensation. And um, so they're seeking something that they can use to harm him in public. And so they say, they throw this woman down who's been caught in adultery, and they say, you know, the laws of Moses say we should stone her. What do you say? And interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't respond verbally right away. He leans down, the Bible says, and begins to draw on the dirt. I think that probably would have been a pretty uncomfortable moment. I know that there are times, even with Sophia, with little Sophia, when I need an answer from her, and she doesn't give me an answer. Oh. So now you've got these people... Who, they're in the temple. You got teachers of the religious law, and Jesus is teaching them. And someone asks him a question, and he seemingly ignores it. Doesn't even directly answer the question, just starts drawing in the sand. The Bible doesn't say what he drew, doesn't give explicit details. But I think as the story goes on, we might be able to guess. So he knelt down and began to write in the sand or the dirt with his finger. And the men kept demanding an answer, saying that the person kept demanding an answer. And Jesus ultimately gives them this answer. He says, look, you can stone her, the first person who's never sinned. And then he kneels back down, begins drawing in the sand again. And the Bible says that one by one, the people began to walk away, beginning with those who were the oldest. Presumably, maybe they're the ones who had the longest list, perhaps, of sins to recount. And it didn't take them very, they had enough wisdom to know that my list is, is too long. That I'm not going to be picking up a stone here today. The interesting thing about light is that it exposes things that you can't normally see at night in darkness. Light exposes things in the darkness, you know? And what's interesting about Jesus was that when he confronted people, he always confronted people with heart issues. He would often respond with a question to someone else's question, which would get at the heart of an issue. Somebody would ask something over here, and he would get right to the heart of what they were, what they were trying to get to because he could see men's hearts. The Bible says many times that he saw man's heart and sometimes he would confront them directly sometimes he would do it in a very interesting way but light exposes things that are shrouded in darkness and in fact it casts away darkness and one element of how the nature of Christ and his spirit operates in our life is that when sin is exposed by the Holy Spirit it can bring us to a place of repentance. It brings us to a reckoning, a place where we have to deal with our sin. Some of us deal with our sin by ignoring it. 
Like people that love to avoid problems. Sometimes we think it's easier to avoid a problem than it is to deal with it. But often what happens is it just magnifies that deficiency in your life to the place where it becomes so overbearing that you have to deal with it. I think we all have situations in our life that we know where we've done this. Maybe it's neglecting cleaning house. I've never done that. No, I just think it's so funny when, you know, when your wife goes away for a day or two and then, you know, you, you try earnestly to keep the house clean. But inevitably, the hour before she's supposed to arrive home, you're rushing around trying to vacuum and clean and get the dishes out of the sink. But it never works for me because my wife always shows up like two hours early and catches me. So I, I feel like I never really get to win on that one. But light, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he begins to open up our lives. And there's nothing that we can do to hide ourselves from God. God sees everything. He sees our heart. He knows our mind. He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart motivations. And Christ sheds light on our sin and the condition of our heart. And he exposes us before God and gives us the opportunity to ask for forgiveness, to repent and turn from our ways to neglect the sin in our life, put it aside, and to walk in righteousness, to do and walk in obedience to what God's called us to do. And when we do so, he forgives us, and he renews us, and he replenishes us and makes us new. There's some of us in this room that will have a pretty dark past. Maybe some of you are currently going through some dark things. But this morning, I want to remind you that the remedy begins when light comes into your life, when truth comes into your life, when the Holy Spirit is allowed to do work in your life, he will begin to cast light on some of the dark things in you, and he will call you to turn from them and to forsake them and to follow him with everything you have. And it's always a choice. He doesn't force us to but he may make it very uncomfortable not to because he knows that it's in your best interest to follow him, that he has plans and purposes for your life. And these things that you're holding on to maybe from your past or from your present that are hindering you from fully surrendering your life to him, he wants to pull some of those things out and replace it with himself, with his glory, with his rest, with his presence so that you can become the people that God's calling you to be so that I can become the pastor that God's calling me to be and fulfill the call of my life and fulfill the calls on your life. What's interesting about this light is the Bible says that light shines through the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. When's the last time you turned on a light and the darkness just took the light out? You know, yesterday we were just at... Um, <laughs> That's a really, really trippy movie right there. Although, you know, I remember a few years ago when uh, that Frog Princess movie came out. And I'd never seen it at that time, but I remember, I think Lance might have gone, or Cindy went to the movie theater to watch that with the kids. And at the next staff meeting, he came in, and he was just talking about this movie where that was like the darkest children's movie he'd ever seen. It was like the most occultish, dark, horrible thing, and they had to leave the theater because it was just so horrible. And in this show, literally, the darkness was overtaking the light. But that's not the way it works, is that the light casts out darkness. And so when God comes into your life, he begins to work out those things. 
out of your life, and you become a new person. You become a new creation. You know, a few years ago, I was working at a, at a local shop that manufactures, well, semi-local shop that manufactures those big bitumen storage tanks that you see out in farmer's fields. And we're doing some, in, some inspection on these tanks. And uh, for some reason, there was this huge warehouse, and on one side where the entrance doors were, there was a light switch. In the middle, where there was a room that went into the offices, there was a light switch. On the far side, where we happened to park that shift and come in, there was no light switch. And so the door was propped open, and we were finishing up. I just cleaned up all my stuff. I'd carried most everything into the truck, and I came back in, and I had to flick the light off. I flicked the light off, and I started walking back towards the door. My coworker happened to walk out and knock the thing that was holding the door open, and the door closed, and all of a sudden, I was just enshrouded in darkness. I couldn't see a thing. And normally, over the door, there would be the exit sign, but it was blocked by a tank. And the room was so big that it was like so dark, I, like, I literally was standing there thinking, I, I'm trying to rethink what the floor looked like, how many, because there were just pipes spread out everywhere. It was kind of a mess in there. And I had two options. I thought, you know, I can go back and try to find the light switch again, or I can just keep walking towards the door, which I know kind of the general direction. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for the door. So I started walking, and I first, you know, I start shuffling and doing these, kicking my foot out, trying to feel if there's anything in front of me, and surely there's nothing, and there's nothing. I'm thinking, you know what, I think I have a clear pathway to the door. So all of a sudden, my confidence started getting built up, and I start walking a little bit faster, and all of a sudden, I hit a pipe, and I'm down. And I'm laying there, and I'm laying on my back, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is horrible. I could have hurt myself real bad here. And so I crawled on my hands and knees to the wall and followed the wall until, until I got to the door. Living life in the dark is horrible. And when the Bible talks about light and dark, light, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, is often talking about good and evil. It's talking about a way of life in which God's presence, his love, and his mercy is present. That the king, it's called the kingdom of God. And there's the kingdom of darkness, which is the absence of God. It's the absence of his character, the absence of his goodness, the absence of his grace, of his mercy, and his love. And to walk in the absence of God, in the absence of his love, in the absence of his presence, is to walk in spiritual darkness. Sometimes the Bible will call it spiritual blindness, which is kind of the same thing, isn't it? If you're blind, it's going to be pretty dark. God will expose things in our life when we choose to walk in darkness. When we choose to put blinders on like a horse and pay their own path and ignore what God's calling us to do. I don't know if you've ever had that in your life where you feel called to do something and you do something else. Where you really sense God's calling you to do something but it maybe doesn't make sense, requires an act of faith, or perhaps it's something that seems a little foolish, and so you just kind of disregard it as just a weird thought. That must have been a, a pizza dream. That must have just been, what was I watching on TV last night? That was really out there. And we choose to pay their own path and just be blind to, to what God wants in our life. And when this happens, like anything, like when my daughter, when she goes hayward, 
I mean wayward, it's my job as a father to correct her. That was really funny. Do you have any Hayward children? <laughs> um, you know, and God is a loving father, and he does the same. God is a loving father who will discipline us. He prunes us, the Bible says in John 15, because he wants us to bear more fruit. And what's interesting is he prunes the, f- the, the branches that are bearing fruit. Sometimes we think that pruning must just happen if it's a dead branch or if it's a fruitless branch. But no, the fruitless branch, he says he cuts off. He severs them and throws them in the fire. It's the fruitful branches that he prunes so that the Bible says so that they will be more fruitful. And for us, God wants to develop fruit in our life. He cares, honestly, I believe this, he cares more about who he wants to develop us into as people that reflect his glory and his goodness than what we do for the kingdom of God. Because he knows that once we are like him, we will do those things that he's called us to do. We'll walk in obedience. But until we get there, until we, our lives are fully surrendered, in which our minds are fully renewed, in which we wake up and we begin to see the world like Christ sees the world. We see people like Christ sees them. We wake up seeking the Father's will every single day. There's more pruning to be done. John 8, 12, Jesus says, he is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As his followers, we are also called the light of the world, as he says in the scripture here that we looked at first, which is Matthew 5, 14 to 16. He says, you are the light of the world. So just as Jesus is the light of the world, we are the light of the world, because now we are Christians, which literally means like little Christ's. We are people who now are filled with the Spirit of God, who bear witness to God. We are now children of the light. We're a new creature. We're no longer people lost in darkness. We're no longer blind. We're people who are found. And we can walk in light, which means we can fulfill the will of God in our lives. We can know the Holy Spirit. We can know God the Father through the Son. He calls us to be salt, and he calls us to be light which means that we are people who are living for the kingdom of God, people that are bearing fruit. And to have Christ and to fail to impact the world around you with the gospel is like being a light that is being put out and covered by a basket. It says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know what? Have you ever been, sometimes we feel like faith is a private matter, that we can be people of faith and it's fine to just do our thing. We don't have to let anyone else in the world know. It's okay if we follow Jesus, we'll pray for people, but God forbid they really know anything about my personal life, know that I I live for Jesus, know that I'm a Christian. But the problem with that is that's not what God's called us to do, is to just to get saved and live a good Christian life in solitude, to be a monk out in a forest somewhere and never interact with someone. He gave us a mission to go into all the world and make disciples. And we can't do that if we don't interact with people, if people don't know we're Christians, if we're not willing to speak up and share life and truth as things come into our life and as people come into our life, then we're going to be ineffective. And um, it's like this illustration here. 
that we see in Matthew 4.14. We are, the church is a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are meant to be seen. We are meant to be influencers of our community, that we are meant to bring God's love and God's hope into hopeless lives, into hopeless situations, bring God's love to people that need some love, people that maybe are unlovable in most people's eyes, but God loves them, and he's calling us to them. It says, does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket? No, we put it on a lampstand and give, which gives light to all who are in the house. And you know, back then, people lived in smaller homes when this was written. There would probably be a one-room house. And so when you'd light a lamp and put it in the middle of the room, it probably pretty much filled the whole room, and everybody in that room got to benefit from the light. Did you know that when you live for Jesus, that everyone around you also benefits? That when you bear the presence of God and you are filled with the presence of God, that it doesn't just be contained in you, but it leaks out, sometimes even when you don't realize it. And that's what it's like when we are filled with the, we are like the light. We are, we are the light of the world as well, Jesus says, because we are called to affect those around us, to change the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere everywhere we go. And we are a lamp put out, not only just for ourselves and our own life, but to give light to all men who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Here I know, the first time I ever read this, I kind of not disregarded it, but I thought, well, isn't that the opposite of what we're supposed to do, not be seen? Aren't we supposed to do good works in secret? Not, not tell our left hand what our right hand's doing? But the th- it's true, we do do that. But here he's saying that we got to be models. We got to live our walk authentically. And we got to live it out. We have to be seen. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And the problem is sometimes what happens is we isolate ourselves from the world when we get into the church. And then little bits of the world still leach in. And so now the church is of the world, but isolated from the world. And we're ineffective because we're not in the same place. And we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are of a different essence. We are now new. We are born again. We have a new nature. And so when we go, we need to go into the community and be involved. And you know what? It's so exciting. We had a barbecue this Friday night, and it went really, really well. So we had the air show downtown. We had, I don't know how many people were downtown before, the crazy, crazy storm. but we served about 300 hot dogs, interacted with all sorts of different types of people, some military people, people from out of town, people from Cold Lake. Um, you know, there was three uh, pilots that were from Oklahoma, and they were like there for like an hour and a half. I don't know what happened. They just didn't want to leave. And, um, but it was a great opportunity. We got to hand out alpha cards with the date and the time and invite people to come out in the fall and to discuss some issues of faith and just love people. And it was a great opportunity to feed them and love on them and get to know people that maybe would never normally come in here on a Sunday morning. And, you know, what an amazing opportunity that was. And I'm so glad that it worked well. And then that night came and it started to thunder 
and lightning and rain. It was actually kind of funny because we get home. I'm in bed. And Rhea comes in. She's like, what's that noise? She flicks the light on. And we, we live in a basement suite. And we look up at our window. And water was four or five inches up the window. Our whole window well was filled with water. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I'm hopping out trying to get dressed, doing some stuff. I run outside, grab a bucket. I'm bailing water out of our window well as it's gushing in around the window. And um, I'm just like, this is just wonderful, you know. And I go outside, and it's dark, but then the lightning would come, and I'm trying to see up at the eaves trough what's going on with the drainage spout, and I can't see, and I don't have a flashlight. And um, so I take the kid's little kiddie pool, and I stick it under where all this water's gushing down from our eaves trough. And, and eventually I, I bail out most of the water so that it's, there's no more water above that line where it can leak into the house. And uh, the eaves trough, the little drainage spout somehow, maybe from the water pressure, from the intense rain or from the wind, got knocked sideways. And so the water was just dripping right onto the ground and missing the drain spout altogether. And it was pouring into the window. And I'd never seen that. It was, it was like being in a submarine. It was just... It took me a couple seconds to figure out what was happening, especially when you just wake up and you're like a little disoriented to begin with. But it was a crazy night. But you know what? God is so good. And um, we had an opportunity to be light to the community. And the little bit of water issue, well, it's okay. It happens. But you know what? It's, those things don't get us down. Life happens, and we take, we, we take it, you know? Like, those things are a little unavoidable. There's nothing I could have done. I couldn't foresee the eavesdrop being blown off and that all happening, especially at, like, 2 in the morning. But God is there, and um, our landlord, who we rent from, is super gracious. And, and, um, but the thing is, is that you got to do the right thing as well. Like, the second I was able to, to not have water leaking into the house, I called him right away and told him what was up. Because, you know, he had another renter who had, like, had a roof leak for, like, three years and never mentioned it until they were moving out. Yeah, not a great situation. That's not being a light. <laughs> we got to be good renters. If you're a renter, be a good renter. You know, leave the place better than when you come. Um, everything we do, every area of our life is a testimony. And um, everything we do, every area, whether it's an interaction with another mom when you're dropping your kid off at school or you're at the restaurant doing things or you're in line at Walmart, we always have opportunities to love people and to meet people and to engage with our community. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we, you know, are like a preacher in Walmart where we're just all of a sudden just like, you know, fire and brimstone, what it means is that we're open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we wake up in the morning and say, God, who do you have for me today? Who do you have for me today to interact with? Who is it that you want me to discuss with, you with, or just show, show some love to in any way and be open and available for when God prompts you to act. And God will bring amazing blessings into your life. And that is how we let our light shine before man, is that we do good works, not because we have to, not because we just have this checklist that we have to hit all those things if we want to make it into heaven, but because God makes us like him. 
And the more we spend time in his word and our mind gets renewed and we begin to be conformed to his image, the more we begin to think like him and act like him and want to do the things that God is leading us to do. It's like, you know, it becomes fun. I can tell you that before last summer, I don't know any of our youth that would have thought it was fun to go to a store or go somewhere and just randomly pray for people on the street. We never did that as a youth group. But God came last summer out at the camp meetings and radically transformed some of the kids' understanding of who they are in Christ. They were filled with the Spirit, and their desires began to change. Now all of a sudden, a bus ride home from YC isn't just wasted hangout time. It's let's pray for two, earnestly for two and a half hours. Like, there was a shift that took place in our young people. And I'm sure if, if there's any parents in the room, you've noticed it. There's, there's been a shift in the last year in which there's this earnest desire for the things of God, in which they want to pray, they want to read their Bibles. And I remember one of my first questions I had for them about two months after the camp meetings last summer, I said, what's changed? And one of the youth's response was very that, that my, I actually want to read my Bible. It doesn't feel like a chore anymore. It's not like, oh, I have to clean the bathroom. It's like, I want to read my Bible. When I, lead, when I read my Bible, it's like, it's food. It's like I'm being fed up by spiritual food. And, it, and it's growing them, and it's, it's shaping them, and it's making them into the men and women of God that he's called them to be. And God is using them to impact the people around them, you know? And I just love that our young people get together, and they pray. They get together on a Monday morning at school or at lunch. I'm not sure exactly sure what time. And they get together just to pray for the school week. Say, God, who do you have for us this week? And my prayer is that all of us would have that earnest desire for him that we would wake up and the first thing on our mind would be Jesus. God, thank you what you have for me today. You know, my, my grandfather, my mother's dad, he's an English guy, and every morning he would wake up and open his curtains and he'd yell, good morning, sunshine, but with an English accent. I'm horrible at accents, so I'm not even going to attempt it. And as a kid, when he would come visit or we'd go visit them, it always left an impression. He would wake up, he was cheery, he'd go and swing open the curtains and yell. And it didn't matter if it was horrible, because, well, they're in England, so most of the days there was no sunshine. But it did not deter him. He would thank God for the sunshine. And it was a, an amazing example to see of, of faithfulness, even when you don't see it right before you. But there was clearly sunshine there. It was just kind of blocked a little bit. It was faded sunshine. Let's not live life of, of faded light. Let's give people the real stuff. Let's give them the authentic Christian life of loving people without anything in return. Um, I got to close. Last thing, okay, I'm going to give one more illustration and then I'm going to close. Do you hide your light? So it wasn't very long ago, I was driving at the start, of, I think it was like beginning of June, and I was listening to this kind of cheesy Christian um, album that we have in the car for the kids, and it was, you know, let the children come to me, whatever, and we get up and we were playing it really loud because I had a couple of my windows open. We hit the red light by no frills, and this car pulls up next to me, and his window's undone, and immediately I feel the need to reach over and turn my music down. And then Sophia's like, Daddy, what are you doing? Turn the music up. And I'm thinking, why did I turn the music down? 
And I'm like, part of me was like, well, you know, maybe it's just I don't want to be a nuisance. I don't want to be that guy that has the loud music that nobody really wants to hear because it's gangster rap and every third word's a, a swear word. But I'm like, it's not that. It's not that I'm being a nuisance to anyone. That guy's music was probably louder than mine. But it's like, even now, even as a pastor, sometimes there's something in me that wants me to dial it back a bit. That's interesting. It's like there's this spiritual resistance that happens inside of us that, oh, I don't want my music to play too loud because he might know I'm a Christian. Well, praise God, he knows I'm a Christian. If he hears my Christian music, well, he knows who I am. He doesn't, you know, it's, there's not going to be any awkward tension there. He's like, oh, that guy's religious. It's probably what they're going to think. But, it, you know, it was interesting when we got home and I talked to Sophia, I was talking to Sophia and Rhea about it and just thinking, you know, it's a heart thing. Like, that's crazy. I'm a pastor. I'm not ashamed to be a pastor. I tell people I'm a pastor all the time. But yet the Christian music was just a little too much. I needed to, like, shield other people from it. Because God forbid they hear some truth and some light and some love and some truth. Like, it's ridiculous. But I don't know if you guys have ever done that. Anyone else has turned down their Christian music because your window is down? You think someone else might be able to hear it? It's so interesting. We're meant to be seen by the world around us. And there should be a clear, distinct difference between us and those who walk in darkness. And we're meant to interact with people of all faiths and those of no faith. God calls us to them all. We're called to disciple and raise, them, raise all of them. And we're called to be in the world and not of it. We are a light to the world. As believers, Christ dwells in us, and his light transforms us, and we are children of God. We are now children of light, and we no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness, as we are singing about this morning. But we are now set apart and filled with the kingdom of God for the purposes of God. And the world needs more of Jesus. And um, our community, Cold Lake, needs more of Jesus. Our province needs more of Jesus. Our country needs Jesus. One of the primary ways that Jesus is coming to our community is through his people. It's through people like you and me who wake up every day and say, God, who do you have for me this morning? God, what do you have for me? So why is it that so many of us seem to fear exposing our faith to others? Have you ever been, like I know one place that it used to be a little bit iffy sometimes was when I was at work. When you're working in the secular world, sometimes you don't want to be too preachy. You don't want to say too much. And so sometimes you'll default to saying nothing at all. Rather than being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, even when you feel that prompting, sometimes you'll resist. And I've gone through this of trying to balance, okay, God, do I share? Do I, do I pray for this person or do I not? And sometimes there's that tension. We have to learn discernment of when, when to speak into someone's life and when not to. But one area, one hindrance that I think is negatively affecting people and preventing us from living out the life that God's calling us to and maybe the life that we even want to in the community um, is comparison, comparing ourselves to others. And um, it's a hindrance that affects all of us, regardless of where we are in our faith. We could be someone who's 40 years strong in the faith or someone who's only been saved for a week. The problem is that when we compare our walk and our gifts and our abilities or our understanding of a biblical text to others' ability, sometimes it discourages us rather than encourages us. 
You know, when you see somebody that's highly gifted or has a gift of teaching and has is filled with knowledge of the Word of God, it should be encouraging to know that you have somebody in your life that you can go to with questions, that there's someone that knows more than you that can speak into your life. That should be encouraging. But sometimes what comparison does instead is it says, oh, that person really has it and I don't. And so sometimes we get a bit of an inferiority complex where we feel like we can't do something or anything for the kingdom of God because someone else knows something better. Something else knows more of the word of God. Someone else has more faith. Someone else seems to be more gifted in spiritual gifts. But the truth is that that's not the way it works. There's always going to be someone else that's more knowledgeable, more talented, maybe has more gifts than you. There's always going to be somebody that's just a little bit more competent than you are and probably anything in life. And if the early church waited till they had four or five years of experience in certain things, um, you know, the church wouldn't be where it was today. You know, I know when I got saved um, at the age of 15, I was just like this little fireball. I knew very little. I grew up in a house where we didn't know nothing about the Bible, nothing about, about Christianity really at all. But I was so energetic. I was out there sharing what I knew. And I didn't know very much. But I can tell you in the first year, I led more people to the Lord than I had in many consecutive years past that. And it wasn't because of the level of Bible knowledge that I had. It was because I trusted in him that I had the spirit of truth that would reveal all truth. And I was excited and energetic to go out and share the new faith that I have. And we all have a unique call in our lives, and it looks different. And the call that God has on your life is not going to be the same as what God has for the person next to you. It's going to look different. <coughs> and so we cannot compare ourselves to others in that way and allow our deficiencies to deter us from walking in obedience to God and sharing the gospel, from being a light in our community. And um, there's a saying that goes something along the lines of this, that comparison is the best friend to discontentment. And I think it's true that I'm sure many of you would agree with this, that maybe you have something new and you think it's amazing and it's wonderful. I mean, you see someone else, like maybe you go buy a car and you're like, it's the first new car you've ever had. You drove it off the lot. You're so excited. And someone drives by with like a brand new Corvette or something. And all of a sudden you look at your car, you're like, this is a piece of junk. You can always find something better, nicer, newer than what you have. Comparison can lead to discontentment. And we can't allow that to happen, to deter us from doing the word because maybe someone else could potentially do it better in your eyes. If God is calling you to do it, there's no one better to do it than you. And you're not doing it. That's the amazing thing. It's just God moving through you. We don't save anybody. We're just obedient to share our faith, to share the gospel. And God's grace, by God's grace, he's working in their life and drawing them to himself. And we are just obedient to serve God and be faithful in what he's given us. There are two things that we need to live out God's will in our life. To be informed by the word of God, which means that it informs every area of our life, not just our Sunday church attendance, what we do for two hours on a Sunday morning, and two, that we're led by the spirit of God. And I just wanted to finish off I'll finish off here with um, this scripture here. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
I recently heard a quote that kind of intrigued me. It said, God is more interested in your desperate need of his lamp-lit direction than your path-paving skills. Since God created Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, humankind has had this propensity to want to be masters of our own destiny, do things our own way. And we attempt to create a new or better path than the one God has for us is always going to be disastrous. It always is. You know, and God knows this about us, and that's why I think he only reveals certain things to us in stages. Often we only see things in part. And the spiritual life is like driving down a dark road at night where you can only see a certain number of feet in front of your vehicle. But you know that if you keep driving in that direction, you'll get there. And sometimes get, God will give us parts, some revelation, some, some area of our life that we're going, a, a, some vision. But he doesn't always give us every little piece of the step. I think sometimes that's what walking in faith is, is that dependence on him every single day that once you get from point A to point B, he then leads you to point C. Because he knew that if we knew how to get from point A to point Z, we would go around B all the way through X, Y, and try to come to Z. Because who wouldn't? We like things quick. We like to get rich quick. We like the things that will get the result. But the problem is God develops us through that experience. And we won't become who we are if we don't go through those experiences. And so this will be the very last verse, I promise. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him until he'll make your path straight. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, this morning. God, for what you're stirring in our hearts. God, that you are giving us a desire, Lord, for a spiritual walk. God, that's not rooted in selfishness. God, that's not just about us. But God, you are leading us and directing us God, to be a light to our community. God, to be involved in the network of Cold Lake and the surrounding area. God, I thank you, Lord, that this church and your people are a light, a city on a shining hill. And God, that you are calling us to reach Cold Lake and the surrounding neighborhoods and communities. And God, I thank you, Lord. God, for those who are faithful, God, and those who are willing right now, God, who are seeking you every day and saying, Lord, who do you have for me today? What do you have for me today? But God, I pray for an increased desire, God, an increased um, heart for the lost. God, that we wouldn't walk by those who are hurting, God, those who are oppressed and not think anything of it, but God, that you would burden us, God, with, with a burden to pray, God, for our community. God, give us a new desire, Lord God, for your word, to dig into your word, God, and to grow to grow by feeding on your word, God, and learning how to comprehend it. God, show us how to rest in your presence. God, show us what it means to live a fruitful life by the Spirit. God, thank you, Lord, that we can lean on you and not our own understanding, God, that is faulty. But God, that when we submit ourselves to you, God, that you will make our path straight every time. So Lord, I just pray against discouragement, God, I pray against discouragement from comparison. God, that we would focus our eyes on you and the calling that you have for us, Lord, and we would seek out those who can support us in that journey. Lord, I pray for those that are older in years, God, and mature in the faith, Lord, that you would impress on their hearts, God, those who are younger in the faith who they might mentor, 
those who they can speak into, God, so that people don't feel like they're walking alone, but that everybody that comes into Cola Community Church feels like they're part of this community, that they're being spoken into. And God, I pray, Lord, that regardless of how young someone is in their faith, God, that you'd give them opportunities to share the faith that they have and the hope that they have in you. And God, that you would open our eyes, God, that we would see how you do things, Lord, that you sometimes use the foolish things to confound the wise. God, I pray that we would be people who pursue true wisdom, which only comes from you. God, I pray, Lord, that you replace some of our worldly knowledge and the ways that we viewed things and the world and ourself, God, with, with kingdom mindsets, God. Lord, that we'd have your Father's heart this morning. And God, that we would rest this summer. God, that we would be rejuvenated, God, and filled up for this fall. God, that we would come and pursue you with intention. God, that we'd come to things like Alpha. Lord, that we would get on board, Lord, and, and be part of a ministry somewhere that would be serving in a ministry and connected to a small group and growing in you. God, that we'd live with intention. And God, not just live passively, just getting crumbs from the table, but Lord, that we are invited to sit at the banquet table and to partake with you. So Lord, I pray, God, that this would be a, a summer. God, that you just stir up a new fire in our hearts for souls. Lord, that we grow in community. God, that we would learn some of those stepping stones and foundations to know you better. And God, that we would be people who live on mission. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.